All right, the kiddos are headed off to kids' church, so they'll have fun there today. All right, we are in a series on God and money. And so this week I was looking at our church finances, and I have some exciting news. This year, as a co- compared to last year, we have seen a 42% increase in giving. Yeah, that's worth celebrating. Exciting. Uh, but we also have this thing that we call our budget, which is our expectation on what we're going to spend or spending projections. And I did the calculations. If we continue the trend where we're at right now, we'll still be slightly short of where we need to be in terms of our spending. And so, you know, if I sit in that for too long, I can sort of start to get a little depressed, worried, scared, all those sorts of emotions. But I don't want you to worry because Sandy and I are committed to this church. uh, And so we believe God's called us here uh, to be a part of this. And so we'll figure out whatever we have to. And, and, you know, I think God will provide. Uh, God always provides. And we have external ministry partners that help us make ends meet right now. So that's good news as well. So how long it will take to get there? I don't know. But God is the one who does that. What I want you to think about this morning is when I say the word money, what do you think about? What comes to mind for you? Maybe... You're just getting started in life, and you're thinking, how can I get more of it? Right? That would be nice. Maybe you are married, and you're thinking, why do we fight so much about it? I mean, it just brings up all of these emotions for us. It's complicated. Maybe... You grew up in the church, and you were told, or you got this idea that the church just needs my money. Or maybe it was slightly different. You grew up and you had this sense in the church that God somehow requires you to give your money. It's sort of a have-to thing. I just got to do it. It's an obligation. And maybe you feel guilty because there was some specific amount or some kind of percentage that you were supposed to give, and you feel guilty because you didn't or couldn't. Or maybe, maybe you were able to do it, and so it left you feeling self-righteous. I got this. Yes. Well, if either of those are you, I want to say, I'm sorry. That's not the way things should be. That's not what we should be thinking about. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church and you got this idea, maybe from some of our on TV ministries, where the preacher would say something like this, God will be generous to you if you would only be generous and give a generous donation to our ministry. And that left you a little confused, maybe even convinced that, you know, everybody's just looking out for number one. And for you, I am sorry, that is not what I think God's intention is for this conversation and our conversation about money. God has something 
in mind that's so much more meaningful, so much more fulfilling for us. But we often have this very complicated relationship with money. I have a complicated relationship with money. So we're going to be in the book of Matthew today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. It's part of our series that I already said uh, to start with on God and money. And we think radical generosity is something that God wants for us, not something that God needs from us. And so week one, we talked about how God owns everything. And we get to manage the things that God gives us. And that's a freeing thing. We don't have to worry about it because God owns it already. God takes care of it and invites us to help take care of it. And then last week, we started to talk a little bit about how God invites us to reprioritize our relationship with money and to think through what are our priorities when it comes to the money that we steward. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. It's part of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' greatest teaching. We're going to be in verses, uh, in chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And Jesus is talking a lot about how do we live? How do we live in right relationship with God? How do we live in right relationship with each other? So beginning in verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the first thing I want us to notice as we enter into this passage is that Jesus does not say that seeking treasure or having treasure is bad. That's not something that we need to worry about. It's in keeping with what he said earlier about rewards, where Jesus isn't concerned about us seeking rewards or seeking treasure. He's concerned about what kind of treasure we have. So the question that we want to wrestle with today is what kind of treasure are we seeking? It's not that we can't seek treasure, it's what kind are we seeking? And my family last night, we were watching National Treasure, maybe you've seen the movie, and that's not the kind of treasure that we are seeking, just to clarify, although it was rather entertaining to see how they went about getting that treasure if you haven't seen it. Jesus contrasts two types of treasures. One would be the national treasure type, or you know, big money, uh, and the other is this thing that he calls treasures in heaven. So let's talk a little bit about that. So ancient Near East teachers generally acknowledged that earthly treasures were corruptible. Things that could be broken down or lost, they, were not, they wouldn't last forever. So unlike our modern banking system where we have, uh, at least in America, we have the FDIC, federally insured, right? We're guaranteed to get our money back. Uh, that wasn't necessarily the system that happened in ancient Near East culture. <laughs> you could put things in your home and try to store them in a strong box, uh, sort of like a safe, but not really that strong. Or um, you could do a number of other things. You could put them often in a cave. 
uh, or some sort, you could dig a hole, bury your treasure, and that would be a, a little bit more safer. You know, you could keep the thieves away, maybe, at least in the buried sense. Uh, but if you put it in a cave, and oftentimes wealth was also connected with uh, people's clothing, that's where the moth and vermin could come in and destroy the wealth uh, that they had. So Jesus' teachings are generally consistent with the ancient Near East culture. Uh, treasure doesn't last. Uh, today, I think we're a little more reluctant to sort of acknowledge that. Uh, hence, we have the FDIC insurance. But we also have this thing, maybe you've heard about it, called cryptocurrency. And the base of cryptocurrency is this thing called an NFT. Does anybody know what NFT stands for? Couple people out there. A non fungible token. Anybody know what fungible means? Destroyable? So it's a non-destructive token. Okay, the idea here is that you cannot destroy cryptocurrency, right? You know, you could take a dollar bill and rip it up. You can't rip up a, a cryptocurrency, right? And, you know, additionally, our financial advisors, they tell us how to safeguard our wealth. They help us think about how we can save money and pass it on to the next generation. And I think it speaks to this idea that you know, we, we want to invest in things that last. And I don't think that's anything different from what Jesus is talking about. Jesus wants us to invest in things that last. So our desires are okay here. But I think we need to acknowledge that even today, our wealth, our possessions, the things that we have, they're not going to last. They're temporary. They just won't make it for all eternity. So Jesus calls the disciples and us to invest in treasures in heaven. So let's talk about treasures in heaven. What are some of those things? Well, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, uh, this talks about the four living creatures and the 24 elders falling down before the Lamb. And each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So prayers are heavenly treasures. They're things that we can offer up to God, and they're so important that they are put into bowls of incense. They're cared for. We can offer up prayers for one another. It's part of the reason why we do that every Sunday here. We take prayer requests because those are treasures in heaven that we can offer up. The other thing I think scripture talks about in terms of treasures in heaven is our service to other people. So Jesus was talking uh, to a man in Matthew chapter 19, it's gonna come a little bit later, that we know as the rich young ruler. And in verse 21 of chapter 19, he says, if you want to be perfect, and who doesn't want to be perfect? If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. There it is. If we sell our possessions off, if we give to others acts of service towards other, others, we are storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And so what we do here on earth will be stored up in heaven, things that we want to last. We can introduce people to Jesus. That's something that will last. Somebody who meets Jesus, connects with Jesus, and surrenders to Jesus, that lasts. Those are things that we want to pray for. We can pray for that person, offering up those prayers, 
And we can serve those other people by telling them about God. And when we can serve people, when we serve other people, we are storing up treasures in heaven. So the question that we want to ask again is, what kind of treasure are you storing up? What is the kind of treasure that you are seeking? Is it temporary or is it lasting? Is it eternal? Are you working to store up things that will eventually get destroyed? Or are you working to store up treasures in heaven that will last for eternity? Jesus says the reality is wherever you're storing up your treasure, that's where you're going to be living. That's where your heart is. Your heart is either here on earth with the temporary things or it's in heaven with the things stored up with God. Well, Jesus transitions next into talking about healthy eyes. In verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So at first, when we read through this, it sort of seems a little out of place. What's going on here, Jesus? Jesus is using uh, a word play, okay? It doesn't really show up, translate into English, so we got to think about that, look back. Healthy uh, in this verse, in these two verses, denotes singleness or single focus, single-mindedness, that attention to this one thing. It also connotates this sense of generosity. So if we replace that in that, you can start to get a sense of what this means. On the flip side, unhealthy has a sense of evil, wickedness, maliciousness even. And it's also a metaphor for stinginess or jealousy. And so Jesus is calling them away from the preoccupation of putting themselves and material wealth at the center of their lives and calling them to look externally and begin to look towards generosity, towards other people. And when you begin to think about that, it begins to connect well with the previous section. So I have these glasses, maybe you noticed. They help me see. When I don't have them, my vision is blurred. When I put them on, voila, I can see. Things become clear. And if you have corrective lenses, you've experienced this as well. And so Jesus similarly is saying, when we have healthy eyes, we see clearly. When we have unhealthy eyes, when we don't have our glasses, when we don't have our corrective lenses on, then we're not going to see accurately. We're not going to see the world for what it is. And so the corrective lenses that Jesus is offering up in this is himself. Jesus is our corrective lens for how to see the world. When we put Jesus on, we begin to see things as they are. When we focus single-mindedly on Jesus, our generosity grows. When we take off our glasses, when we take off and begin to focus in on ourselves, we begin to get stingy, we become malicious, evil, and we begin to hurt other peoples instead of being generous with our money, possessions, and with ourselves. Verse 24 reinforces the point that Jesus is making here. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
So Jesus is describing money as a master. This is slavery language that we're familiar with, at least on some level. A slave can only do what their master tells them to do. Otherwise, they will be, get beaten. And he says, we must pick. It's natural to serve one or the other, but you cannot serve both. You can't serve both God and money. You can't serve your master and yourself. It reminds me again of the story of the rich young ruler. When Jesus asked him to sell all of his possessions and give to the poor and follow him, it, the text says that he went away sad because he had a lot of money. He had great wealth. And it's a great test for us to think about ourselves. What happens when you are asked to give something of yours away? Possessions, money, how do you feel? How does that make you feel? Do you sort of go, I don't want to let this go? Or do you freely offer it up? Does it feel good? Or does it help us sort of, uh, or does, and does it point people to Jesus? Does it point people to God? Jesus talks a lot about using money for those who don't have it. Giving to those who don't have it. Money as a master invites us more and more to build bigger and better, and our focus becomes on ourselves. By contrast, Jesus invites us to resource those who are most vulnerable in our community. You become intentional, so I want to invite you to think about, as you become intentional about where you direct your financial giving, to think about does some of the money that I'm giving, does some of the money that I'm spending go to help the most vulnerable in our community? I know when you give money to church, some of the money that we steward as a church goes to help some of the most vulnerable in our community. We partner with organizations that are doing things to help the most vulnerable in our community. And Jesus is inviting us to join him in that, to be singularly focused on Jesus. And out of that comes this radical generosity and sacrificial giving. And a good test is to take a good, honest look at our bank ledger and to think about some of these questions. Where do I struggle with excess? Could I get by with a little less of this or that that I'm spending money on? Who's ultimately benefiting from, me, from my spending in this category? And is any of the money that I'm spending or giving going to help the most vulnerable in our community? These are questions that I think we can come back to again and again as we look at our bank ledger. Now, I want to pause here for a moment as, before we wrap up because some of you are tempted to think that this is all about asceticism, all right? Uh, and the, this sense of, like, God doesn't want us to have any joy, you can't spend any money on yourself, that's not okay. That's not what we're talking about today. That's not what God is inviting us or Jesus is inviting us into. God wants us to experience joy in this world. And God 
wants us to experience his goodness. So we don't have to worry about spending money on things on ourselves from time to time. But joy doesn't come from the things that we experience either. That's happiness, the things that happen to us. We experience joy because of our relationship with Jesus. So all of this comes back to how is my relationship with Jesus? Am I singularly focused on Jesus? Am I keeping the most important thing the most important thing, just like we talked about last week? Is Jesus the most important thing in my life? Is Jesus king of my life? Is Jesus king and leader of my money? Because if Jesus is king of your life, if Jesus is king of the money that you take care of, then you're going to naturally be more generous with your time, with your money, and people are going to experience God's goodness from that. Jesus, uh, oh, and one more note. If you make a lot of money, this only gets a lot harder. It's harder as you get more and more money to give money away. So when you're just getting started and you're just starting to make a little money and you have that sense of like, maybe if I could have a little bit more, if you can start giving then, it will be much easier as you gain more. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And let that be a word for any of us who claim to follow Jesus. I believe if Jesus is our king, we will consistently be challenged to give more and more of our possessions and our wealth away. And when we do, we become more generous and we experience more joy. We become less stingy and less evil and malicious. And if you don't follow Jesus, know that this is what God is calling us to as followers of Jesus. We don't always get it right. Sometimes we are selfish. Sometimes I spend money on myself and I shouldn't have. Um, God doesn't need our money. We believe God already owns everything. So instead, God wants us to invest in things that last. Things that will last into eternity. John Wesley uh, famous father of Methodist, of the Methodist movement, uh, was really great at this. As his salary increased over time, John Wesley, instead of increasing his spending, increased his giving and kept his spending the same. And I wondered what it would look like for us as Christians to look more like John Wesley. And I wondered what our world would look like if we spent more and more of the things that God has given us on others, what kind of a world would we be in? Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us, that you have so much more in mind for us than we have for ourselves. Sometimes the only thing that I can think about is, man, it'd be really fun to spend some money on this and get this cool thing. Um, but time and time again, God, you have shown me when I have given I have found more joy in life. And so, Lord, would you help us to find more joy? Would you help us to be more generous with our time and with our resources, with the monies that you have given us to take care of? And help us to bring more joy to this world. We pray these things in your name. Amen.